0: welcome to this week's edition of books and booze we're here with rob pierce author of the upcoming uncle dust this is renee i forgot to say the sponsor which is once again miss massacre's guide to murder and vengeance by michael paul gonzalez and as usual we'll talk a little bit about that towards the end of the show um i'm drinking whiskey (laughs) rob how are you doing and what are you drinking that'd be rob pierce this time
1: well, oddly enough, I just finished what was in this cup, which had no alcohol in it. It was just a cup of hot tea because quite frankly, I've already done january a January worth of drinking. I did it in December I was planning ahead and okay. and when you, and when your head is as fucked up as mine is already periodically, it calls for a lull now my my main concern though is that I seem to be compensating for a lack of alcohol by eating more than ever, so I I don't lose any weight. I, I should go back to the IPAs.
0: Yeah. Um I uh I choose I'm I'm on like a nutritional plan um and I often choose to take my extra calories in the form of alcohol as opposed to anything else. Well, i got to eat during the day, but I'm not just drinking, although that would be nice. Uh, (laughs) Rob Hart, what are you drinking?
2: I am drinking Jim Beam because I am classy.
0: You're a classy gentleman.
2: Yeah. Uh, Well, I put it, um, I'm now using a, uh, I'm getting like the big handle bottle to Jim Beam and pouring it into a crystal decanter that uh, that my parents got me for Christmas. So, yeah, you know, it's fancy.
0: See, yeah. I'm taking my, my relatively good whiskey and pouring it into a hip flask, which I think actually is like the opposite of what you're doing. <laughs> it's like <laughs> totally, making it yeah. less classy. You're Here's the thing, step-by. okay, i got a question for you two. I've, this has been bothering me a lot. I've never had a flask before because there's very few things that I can drink straight anyway. When it comes to using a flask, where is the line between, oh, Renee sure plans ahead and doesn't spend extra money on liquor when we're out, and, oh, I think Renee might have a drinking problem because she keeps bringing her flask everywhere.
1: I know, I know. The correct answer to that is, if you don't share with me, you're a bitch and you have a drinking problem. (laughs) (laughs) If, If you pass the flask, it's all good.
0: Okay, yeah, oh, so what you're saying is that as long as I ingratiate myself to other people, they don't care whether I have a drinking problem or not.
2: Yeah, well, Right. yeah, yeah. Well, I think <laughs> that if you, see, I, I kind of keep the flask in mind for, like, for special events. Like, if a friend is getting married, and I know that, like, and, like, I'm in the wedding party, and I know I'm going to be there all day, I will bring the flask. Uh, if I, when uh, me and Todd Robinson went up to Boston uh, to do a Noir at the Bar reading, I brought the flask because I figure we're probably going to be stuck in a hotel room at some point, point. I'm going to want a drink. If I was at the grocery store and took out my flask, that (laughs) might be problematic, you know.
0: Right. Or,
2: like, on my commute to work.
0: I wasn't planning on, like, signing my kid into preschool at 8 a.m. and, like, taking a shot at the front desk. Yeah, see, that would would indicate
2: a drinking problem. (laughs)
0: because I I had it. Here's the thing, the special occasion thing, okay? I got it for Christmas. And then, like, on the way, we did Boxing Day because we were in the UK. So on the way to the big family party, John, who gave me the flask, was like, well, let's buy you some whiskey to put in it. And I was like, okay. And so he he fashioned a funnel out of some paper because we just, like, this was just the last-minute idea on the way there. We stopped at a grocery store. Um, So he filled it for me, and I put it in my pocket. And then he saw me pour some whiskey into a glass of Coke, and he gave me, like, this funny look, like that was inappropriate. I was like, why did we fill it on the way here if it was going to be inappropriate to use it here?
1: Maybe it's just inappropriate to to water or to Coke down your alcohol. That would be my interpretation.
0: No, I thought the same um, thing. on many occasions I've made the mistake trying to keep up with some of my in-laws during these big family gatherings, and it's it's not a good idea. I cannot, um, I can't keep pace with, with Europeans when it comes to drinking at all. <laughs> I fell asleep at, like, last We were in two years in a row, right? So last year I fell asleep at, like, five on Christmas Day because I just had way too much to drink. And I just, like, passed out on the couch next to my (laughs) father-in-law. Anyway. So, Uncle Dust, this is exciting. This is really exciting because I was telling, yeah, well, of course. But also, I'm playing Rob. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wouldn't it be awkward if I was like actually you know <laughs> I could use a little bit of work or, I, I don't want to be mean you but <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah I, I'm sorry to have disappointed you so tedious piece of shit but uh, it was the best I could do
0: <laughs> so I was telling other Rob co-host Rob you signed the contract for this book at Books and Booze Live in San Francisco
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. What?
0: we like to do that at our events. I don't know if anything huge happened at the Louisville one, but in Books and Booze, St. Louis, David James Keaton and uh, J. David Osborne got together for his latest book, The Last Projector, and that's when that whole project started. And then Books and Booze Live in San Francisco, you signed the contract for this book.
1: Yeah, well, the timing on it was just really good because they, all due respect, had just taken the book a week or two before and Mike was coming up and I was reading and it totally made sense. And and they got got me early while I still could sign my name. It was great.
0: Yeah. It was, it was I also pretty read, I
1: also read first so I could drink like a fish. Not that I couldn't yeah, do didn't... that and read last.
0: <laughs> that wasn't... No, we're getting our events confused because you didn't read at at Books and San Francisco. Oh, I'm ago.
1: sorry. I'm, you... I'm I'm sorry. I, I I was yeah, I was getting them mixed up. They read at Noir at the bar. <laughs> you're, but, like,
0: um, you're like actually,
1: Books true <laughs> Bar. <laughs> it's as long as there's some some sort of crime fiction and drinking going on, I, I can generally make it.
0: It's worth coming out I, of I
1: don't get offered contracts at all of them for some reason. I don't know.
0: That's unfortunate.
1: Yeah, it is. I'd have to write faster.
0: <laughs> so, okay, so the basic – I don't know. If I had to tagline this book, um, I, I, I'm not good at taglining. So if I had to sum this book up briefly, I guess it's Uncle Dust is about a guy um, – Who's a professional thief? Who manage? He like finds himself domesticated, sort of.
1: Yeah, sort of. And
0: then he doesn't really want to want to be. And well, of course, he, as, go ahead. of course,
1: his 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 idea of domestication is the guy's. The guy really prefers to be a bank robber, but he wants some steady work, so he becomes an enforcer for a local gangster to collect a steady check. Well, cash. I mean, they don't write checks, but.
0: Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I have an embarrassing story about that. You know, I did a, I did a, a course with Krista Faust, right? And so we had to write this thing. And in my in my character sketch, she accepted the the character accepted a check for a hit that she did. That's <laughs> totally realistic, right? <laughs> so you know, you, like you turn it in and everybody's reading it, and then, like nobody said anything about it. And I was like, oh, you guys thought you were gonna. Like there's no way to say that to me without telling me I'm an idiot. So I appreciate you just waiting for me to realize that. God, <laughs> I would have told you. Oh no, I mean I figured it out. Like after it was turned in, though. That's the thing is you always you always find the big embarrassing thing after someone uh-huh. has read it. Never, never before you give it to you know to someone and or the world. Um, so okay. When when we were talking about this, I'm confused. When is Uncle Dust coming out?
1: I'm I'm marginally confused about it right now. We were talking January 15th, but I got an email today, and it may be a little later in the month. It will be before the book launch, January 28th. Well, that's
0: Um, important.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but it might might only be a couple of days before, sometime between the 15th and the 26th. they were still doing edits as of over the weekend, which is kind of weird because there weren't very many. But they're a small press, you know. It's Chris and Mike, and yeah. that's it. So, so they they've got a few few things going on right now. So it's running a wee bit late, but uh, it will be it will be January between the 15th and the 26th. Probably closer to the 26th than the 15th at this point.
2: Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, and speaking of Chris and Mike, you know, what's your experience? Besides this little hiccup, you know, what's your experience been like working with uh, with all due respect, books?
1: It's been fucking great. Um, well, you know, the thing where they both loved my book, it was like, well, that takes care of my ego for a little while, and then actually, I'm I'm the original I'm the original cause of delay in publication because they were going to do everything and have it in December. But I couldn't I couldn't get a launch until late January, and I was thinking all along this is not exactly a Christmas publication. I don't think that's going to help initial sales. So it made more sense to me, much as I hated having the uh, uh, release postponed a little bit to bump it to January. So yeah, a little little, bu- little bump in the road ain't nothing. Um, and then the edits they suggested were so minor that it was. I, I'm, I'm not sure if they just don't feel like working or or they really did like it as much as they said. I don't know.
0: Really think... what? So I'm confused as to why you didn't think... What? I'm confused as to why you didn't think it would make a great Christmas release. I mean, it's so heartwarming.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, among <laughs> our people, perhaps, and I suppose those are the only people who are going to buy the book. But um, yeah, I, 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 well, it wasn't going to have time to make any of the best of the year lists, and all the all the competition was, you know. So yeah, but 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 mine is going to be on all the best of before Easter lists. So just right. fill your flipping baskets with Uncle Dust. The kids will love it. I'm
0: gonna yeah, I'm totally putting it in my kids' There's kid a ten year
1: old boy with a major role in this book, and. And it's just a heartwarming story.
0: Here's the here's the thing. Uh, not only am I gonna put it in my kids' Easter basket, but I was thinking I would go to like a community Easter egg hunt, and I would put it in all the kids' baskets because <laughs> I'm just like, super giving like that. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah.
0: So I well, I mean, do you do you want to talk a little bit about like what the process like? Cause this is your this is your debut. Yeah, right?
1: yeah. I don't. I didn't have a process. I I was writing a, I was writing a story and it wouldn't end and I got really into the character. I was like uh Mike Munson asked me, "Where did that character come from?" I was like uh, I was typing. <laughs> I don't know. I I <laughs> I, 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 I feel like I I always I always write about these really uh dark characters, and I don't really feel like I'm straying from my own personality all that much when I do. It's just that that mood I'm in when I'm driving home after work at the end of a bad day, that's the mood my characters are in pretty much all the time. And I don't really have a hard time falling on that.
0: I actually, I think that's like the coolest way to describe like your your crime fiction anti-hero protagonists. It's just, just like they're just always in a constant state of road rage after a bad day.
1: Yeah, yeah. They it doesn't take a whole lot to set these people off, you know? And and I I I know I I I do readings and other people get applause and I I get questions like <laughs> did you know someone like that and that sort of thing I'm like no just me just me i'm uh um and, you know it's i think i think people do aren't uh, a lot of people don't seem comfortable with knowing someone who finds it so easy to find the your dark side but yeah. fuck it, man. I, 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 my light side isn't all that light. My sense of humor is pretty damn dark too, and, she's, um, and I'm older. So, so it's good times for all.
0: Yeah. Well, last week uh, I did a like I did a solo show with Johnny Givings because we're uh, well, he lives in the UK. I was in the UK, and that was one of the things you're talking about, like you know those stories where. Because you have your writer friends, and you know that they know what writing is. Like, they don't assume everything you write is, like, memoir. Um, And then you have, like, people who find you through your work, and they get it because they're into that work. And then you have, like, a friend or a family member that's like, oh, that sounds cool. I'm going to go pick it up. And you're like, okay. Yeah, no, go pick it up. It's going to be great talking to you about it. (laughs) Because I remember, you know, like my whole life I'll always remember when uh, my my family rented from dusk till dawn. And we watched that as a family when I was in junior high. And I remember like, you know, Quentin Tarantino's character is so fucking despicable in that movie. And I remember my mom going on like this kind of like weird rant about how, he has to be fucked up, like he can't he's he can't be a normal person because he wrote this, and in order to write it to write something like this, to write a character like that, you have to be fucked up and then um you know a couple weeks ago, my mom's like, "Oh, I'm gonna buy that um that magazine you're in on my Kindle, and I'm gonna <laughs> read the story, and you're like, "Oh shit,
1: <laughs> which magazine you're in uh."
0: It was all due respect, actually. The magazine.
1: The yeah, that's a charm. That's a charming story, and you get to go back to back with Todd Robinson. Those, those are my two favorite stories, in the issue is great.
0: Yeah, oh, my mom really actually liked it, so it was fine. She's apparently gotten over the whole "you must be fucked up to write fucked up things," <laughs> or she's just in denial, like.
1: <laughs> I th- I I think the whole the whole concept of being fucked up is just underrated as a good quality. You know? That's true. It just just depends on what direction you're fucked up and where that hostility winds up going. Mine happens to generally go on the page or be repressed, and God help you if you get in my path. I'm not a big guy, so actually you're fairly safe, except I do have psychotic potential. But who doesn't, you know? Um, This is why why my family holidays used to be so fun oh, oh this is you were talking about about uh like the more the more random reader well one of my brothers read a draft of uncle dust when it was uh pretty close to finished and he said he said it was well written but he just didn't like the character and this guy is a fan of jim thompson oh, and <laughs> wait, wait 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 uh he's, he's worse than doc at the getaway what are we talking here
0: so that's I don't think he's okay. I mean, I don't think he's that bad. I mean, as far as the genre goes. I wouldn't want to like hang out with him. I wouldn't date my
1: No, that's that that was one of the main things for me was that uh there was there was a mix of of qualities with him where he actually does really care about the the kid who's sort of his adopted son, except he's so miserable at being domestic. And, you know, he really does care about the woman he's living with, but he also really cares about the woman he's seeing on the side. And, you know, because um, <laughs> he's, 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 he's that kind of caring guy. I mean, he's, he's a bit of a sociopath, but... but yeah, I yeah, mean, the, I think... The, the, the over sorry. the oversimplification. No, the, yeah, you should apologize, bitch. Um, the oversimplification <laughs> of, of the character uh, would would not have been as interesting for me to write, so I wouldn't expect it to be as interesting for people to read. I, I don't know how you, you have to, to be emotionally involved with somebody, sorry. and if you're going to tell a first-person story, mm-hmm. that, that's the, that's your only point of view for. 250 pages, well, people better be interested in that point of view, whether they actually like the character or not.
0: Right. I can't even remember what it was, that um, some, you know, it's that thing about, like, I don't like any of these characters. And it's like, well, I don't really know what you're doing here, then. <laughs> you know, um, did you get <laughs> lost uh, on your way to, like, the romance section? or Because, for the most part, I guess if you read your more traditional mysteries or, like, especially the cozies, you like your characters. But, like, when I pick up a, a crime novel and I know that it's crime, I don't expect to like the people. I appreciate mm-hmm. when it's well done enough that I can find things to like about right. the characters. But I don't expect to be like, man, I wish that guy was my neighbor. Because he's a criminal. Like if he was my neighbor he would rob me or kill me or, you know, rape me because he's a criminal yeah, you he's be not
1: be born around to witness anything that he, that he did, you know, you might want to just move, you know. Yeah. My yeah, like uh, my 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 role models as a you know, there's there's morality in some of these books and there is less morality in others. And depending on what point of view you're taking, um, it, it's all determined by the characters. Sometimes a writer, you know, you feel like you're a goddamn bystander at times, but it's like, no, 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 I may be bystander part of the time, but part of the time, I'm God, motherfucker. I'm guiding you down this road now. And you take them there and leave them. Sort of how I treat my beloved characters and family members.
0: And <laughs> So, Rob Hart, co-host Rob, I'm going to call you both of those things throughout the show because why not? <laughs> um, <laughs> do you have Do you have any, because like I know, um, you know, you've got a, a book coming out soon. Your protagonist is rel- like a relatively likable guy in the context of the story. So do you have short stories where you have, where you sort of like worry when that people are going to read it and like go oh well that's that's interesting and then never speak to you again
2: well i uh so my my first novel is coming out in june and i actually have a note in the acknowledgments uh saying you know thanks to my mom and dad for you know doing right by me and for understanding that this is a work of fiction and that i don't you know require stint in rehab or something like something <laughs> kind of along those lines cuz i'm I mean, my dad's not a big reader. I don't really expect him to read it, uh, and and that's perfectly fine. So my mom is very excited, and that scares me a little bit because the, you know, there's a lot of silliness that she is going to then be very interested. You know, why does your character do so much cocaine? What do you know about cocaine? I'm going to be like, I don't know. I'm straight edge. Um,
0: I don't even drink, mom.
2: Yeah. <laughs> no. It's,
0: What's cocaine? It's, it's,
2: it, it's weird. It's like, you know, crime fiction is fun, but, yeah, I, I, I've i never really come across anything where anyone's been like, oh, you know, that was too much. And I feel like sometimes I have gone to a place that was a little bit too much, and I haven't really caught any shit for it. So, I don't know, maybe I'll just keep on pushing it until someone really gets angry at me.
0: Yeah, well, see, because I feel like even the stuff that I did expect people to be weirded out by, they're like, eh, whatever your,
2: your, uh, your all due respect story is like, that's really fucked up. Like, I mean, uh, besides the fact that it's like a really, you, you're, you have an incredible talent as a writer, which is the first thing that comes across. The second is like, you were not afraid to go to a very dark and disturbing place, which was, you know, I'm always excited when someone is willing to do that. And I was like, man,
0: that fucked up. I did. Well, I yeah. did get that story. Did get a reaction from an editor that will remain nameless. Um, that was so over the top that I actually like. That I actually thought maybe I wouldn't sub the story. But then Mike had just Mike Monson had read it just for kicks. Like we were trading stories back and forth. And so when they were going to like the print magazine, he asked for it. Otherwise, it may not have happened. Um, Yeah, and one of the words used to describe it was scatological. Hmm. Hmm. So, but that was the only and Yeah, well, yeah. So here's the deal, right? I got that really crazy response from that person, and then it came out, and I sort of braced myself for weirdness. And then it just didn't happen. Like, there were some comments on, like, a blog that Chris Radigan did that were people who hadn't read it. And so they were a little bit, like, antagonistic about it, but they hadn't read it, so it was easy enough for me to be like, well, I mean, read it then.
1: <laughs> From the concept? Because I love that story, uh, as I yeah, mentioned well, to you <laughs>
0: This guy, yeah. Well, this guy, his thing, his thing was that he felt like it was unnecessary to write the story because, in in his words, we all know how the cycle of abuse works. Which was funny because up to that point, getting that rejection, I didn't even realize. Like to me, the story was never about abuse. It was about the murder. So whatever, yeah. <laughs> enough about me. Brothers tend
1: to be abusive. I, <laughs> I don't know if that's been pointed out to you. Well, I mean, Except I in do. cozy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> anyway, like I said, that's enough about me. I don't really like. Uh, I don't. I don't host an interview show because I like talking Wait, it's about
1: my work. the Renee show? Stop yeah, I do.
0: I like talking about other people's work because it's not as awkward or as embarrassing for me.
1: So, oh, cool! You got embarrassed? I am so proud.
0: I just, you know, that story in particular really embarrasses me because it's gotten just so much attention that I just never.
1: Did I you like know. me to read from it? It's on the shelf right over
2: here. <laughs> yeah, let's see that. Let's I lost do, let's my. Do you know, it's crazy. A story.
0: I lost my copy in
1: the move and I haven't found it yet oh Uh-oh. well you can't have mine you could, you could come over and read it sometime if you're in Oakland but outside of that it's not leaving the house
0: no. it'll turn up it'll turn up no okay
2: so let's get back let's get Actually, well okay so so, like, so here's we something already. well here, here's something I'm kind of interested about so you know, your first book is coming out uh from all due respect, uh, which is, you know, they're just starting out and they're they're a small outfit and there there seems to be this sort of uh, you know, and and this is a little anecdotal and unscientific, but there seems to be this move of people who are are more interested in working with outfits like that as opposed to, you know, slogging away with trying to get the attention of big publishers. Uh is it is it your intention? Are you more excited to be working with you know smaller outfits like Alter Respect Books?
1: Well, I love working with someone who who I know definitely loves loves the story. But I spent a year and a half trying to sell this fucking book. Yeah. I, 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 I was I was going going to agents. I was going most most of the bigger publishers. If you don't go through an agent, you don't have a prayer anyway. But yeah. I was I was generally getting ignored or. Or rejected, you know, nothing rude. Uh, people in the in- industry do their jobs right; don't do it rudely. But um, the, it was for a while. I gave I gave up on ever selling the damn book, and I thought it was too good for that. So I went back and. Rewrote a few lines. Like, what the hell? I'm not rewriting very much of this. I think it was really good to start with. Somebody should have taken this and suggested a few edits. So I did my own edits and sent it out for another round. And then I was doing only really small presses, and uh, they answered first. And since uh, all due respect, and Thuglit are my two favorite magazines, and Thuglit isn't publishing books, um, it was an easy choice for me. Yeah. Okay. And no, I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm not going to make. No. I, pretty much nobody's going to make money on their first book. I want that first book out there, and I want it out uh, on on a press that I respect. For one thing, they're not going to. They're not going to put out anything that those two guys don't personally love. And that's one of the advantages of a small press. It's like, oh no, what if, what what if one of those guys left? All due respect, book. Well, you know, when Alec. Uh, how do you say his last name, Sizak, started the magazine. The very first short story, in all due respect, on the website was dedicated to Chester Himes. God damn it, you can't do better than that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> One thing that yeah, I, mean, I really like about All Due Respect is that there is the um, the dedication to none of, no story in the magazine and no book, I assume, no book on on the press is a filler. They're one hundred percent behind everything that they've put out. I yeah, don't know what that's to take it. for everyone.
1: Yeah, well, you know, as as good as they are at what they do, I don't know how precise they go with deadlines, but I was like, I when when Mike accepted Uncle Dust, One of the things he said to me, I was so relieved that I didn't have to reject you again because he rejected a couple of my short stories. I haven't gotten in. But they were right. I've read those issues. Those were better than the stories I submitted. You know, um, it's just sometimes you don't know how good a story is when you send it out. You've hit hit a certain level with it, and until you're comparing it to to stuff that's really A material, it's like, oh, that ain't an A. That's a B and they're only running the A's. Fuck it, back to the drawing board. Sometimes things can be revised and fixed and sent back out elsewhere. And sometimes they're best having a tire roll over them. Yeah, which is yeah, weird. Really, um, my uh, childhood, where my dad did that, but
0: holy
1: um, crap, it wasn't me. <laughs>
0: Everybody talked at once there for a second. It was really unnerving.
1: How about Drake? Shut up.
0: <laughs> um. So yeah, okay. So we are about halfway done. Update everybody on what's going on here. Um, I'm gonna take it back, just like back to the basic concept of the story. I. W- I what I thought was interesting going into it from my perspective in the very beginning in the well not the very beginning, but you know, the first couple chapters I guess. Um the main character Dusty Dustin, Dusty, Dust, Uncle Dust <laughs> uh-huh. He talks about um like the thrill of Robin he's like he doesn't need the money per se, but he needs the thrill. He needs right. Like, he misses it. Um, And I thought it was interesting because a lot of the times you you get into that trope where it's like, oh, just one last last job and then I'm going to retire and then everything goes wrong. And we never actually see, like, the sequel where the guy is like, no, like, actually, fuck that. I'm not going to do a last job. I like my job. I like doing this. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was interesting both, uh, you know, kind of like the, Looking at the joy aspect of it, how much fun it would be, because that's part of the reason people like crime fiction, right? It's that the protagonists get to do all of the things that we kind of secretly think would be really fun, but also don't want to get shot and or sent to prison.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm personally opposed to having either of those two things happen to me, and I feel much safer at a keyboard. Yeah. Um, so, but on but on the other hand, easy. if if I can throw a little danger my readers way. I feel like I'm accomplishing something. Like the only really, your way to do that is to feel it myself while I'm writing it. Yeah. If I if I ain't in pain, I ain't succeeding.
0: I Well, this is what I was wondering, though, is that when you're trying to capture that, you know, when he is kind of laying low and he's he wants to go out and run that job, because um, mm-hmm. that happens pretty early on in the story, yeah. Um were you thinking of it like an addiction kind of thing or just like one of those people who just can't sit still unless they're doing something like is it cuz he was bored or is it because he's really he needs that rush of adrenaline and like the satisfaction of pulling one over
1: because he was what I uh, I miss I miss part of the question but um I think it's a combination um, he definitely, he definitely needs the rush, but I, he's, he's, he's close to addicted to the rush. It's not like a heroin addiction where he has to do it every day, but every day that he's not doing it, he's wanting to do it and he knows he needs to plan the job. And there is a lot of time in the book where he's thinking about the job, but I'm not writing on the page. He, where he keeps thinking about the job, but clearly with a passage of, Doing other things, uh, threatening people, taking taking the money they owe on gambling debts from them, and enjoying the violent aspects of that be- because mm-hmm. of the rush involved in that. He needs the rush.
0: And I, I don't know. I think I don't know. I always think that that's kind of interesting uh, because that's sort of like he's paying for he's paying for it in a way that he's not going to prison or getting, killed. he's obviously not dead, um, but he's paying for it in that he can't be satisfied. I wonder if like, you know, cause like I said, people read, read these stories to like get that feeling. This guy gets to rob banks. I always thought it'd be cool. Yeah, you know, like we're, we are fascinated with Bonnie and Clyde and the old West outlaws and Al Capone and all of that, because like They pulled some major shit off, and everyone sort of thinks it'd be cool to be able to do something that big. Um, but but this this character, I feel like you've captured this sort of interesting aspect of that personality, which is that a lot of times you see uh, these characters get taken, they lose because of greed. They want more money. Whereas in this case, he just really fucking wants to to do it he and like some yeah, people you know,
1: like the know, bank. <laughs> he's a working class bank robber and he loves his job yeah, and, exactly. he, and at times you don't get to do the job you love most and you have and he somewhat fortunately falls into another line of work that he's good at even though he doesn't particularly enjoy it he does he does get a bit of a rush from it, but he could tell it's not the right kind of a rush because he starts to enjoy the violence too much. But he has yeah, a way of compensating for that because he drinks like a fish. So, you know, that takes it out on the people he cares about, and he's got a well-rounded life.
0: <laughs> That's one way of putting it. He's very well-rounded in the way that he takes – takes things out on the people he cares
1: about. Yeah, well, when you're you're living for a rush, rushes are not always positive.
0: Well, most of the time they're not, though, right? Like, that's why you have um, such an issue with, you know, there's people who are addicted to drugs, there's people who who are addicted to adrenaline, there's people who are legitimately, like, they just, they always need a drama to be in the middle of, or a problem, somebody else's problem to solve. So they're always creating, uh, like, big things hmm. that they can orchestrate and then walk in and, like, oh, well, did you hear that this big thing is going on between these people? And pump it up. And that's something that's just human. That's not, like, everybody knows at least one person like that that is, they're into something, whether it's, Mm-hmm. Illegal or just like kinda shitty.
1: <laughs> but for for a lot of the a lot of these people, the problem isn't in the thing that gives them the rush per se. The problem is that it's impossible to not have time without. And the time between is where they mm-hmm. freak. And the time between is what that makes them nuts. And the time between is where you can tell that, that person is actually addicted because they can't live without the time during.
0: Yes. See, that's interesting. Just from any like any situation you look at, as far as people who get into bad habits, I guess. Because the only reason the only reason you get into any into a bad habit is because it, it feels good. Like people don't smoke because they hate cigarettes, they smoke because it's nice to smoke. And then one day they're like, Oh shit! Like I've been smoking a pack of day for the last ten years.
1: I know people who would kill the holding smoke pack a day.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, or they
1: just be depressed.
0: But it is. But like what the and hell, I, a lot of
1: them already are.
0: <laughs> what do they have to live for anyway? No. Right, um, again, so I, you know, I think it's interesting to look at crime from that perspective of just being like that bad habit you can't quite shake because it just feels so good. Mm-hmm. It's like a, it's like a shitty boyfriend. Like you know, yeah, he he's bad for me. But it's just so much fun to like get drunk and ride motorcycles or what I don't know. I've had too much to drink. Anyway, (laughs) getting a little bit (laughs) close on time, and one thing I wanted to talk about is that we want to talk about swill, um, because that doesn't get talked about enough.
1: Swill.
0: Well, yeah, um,
1: Swill Magazine. Yeah, Swill Magazine which, which will should be coming out relatively soon with our eighth issue. Uh we had some major delays. We lost a lot of uh image files in a digital disaster where the software itself wasn't backed up, not just the files. So, um <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is this is again we're 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 in a two man operation here and I don't do the layout stuff. I'm not good at it. So uh you know, Sean who does all that stuff had pro had, had computer issues and is working on a different computer now and trying to get this stuff laid out for a release soon. And uh yeah, Swill is I mean, when I start when I started uh write, writing uh fairly well um, I, I never thought of myself. I never tried to be a crime writer. I wound up writing a lot of stuff that was noir or crime. Um, but I thought I was writing literary fiction, and I still think I am. It's just that a lot of it fits in the category of crime fiction. I, I understand why you have different spaces in the bookstores because some people want to read that stuff. I'm one of them. But if it's well written, I generally like reading it. But. Mm-hmm. It, the cate, cate, categorizations are necessary, but on the you don't need to keep things separate in a magazine necessarily. And I put I started Swill because I didn't see any magazines doing what I wanted done. I didn't see magazines publishing the stories that I the kind of stories that I was writing, and I was getting rejections for writing that kind of story, which presumably referred to sex and violence, which. Um, yeah, I do show up a bit in my writing sometimes, but, um, yeah, I know. I don't want to shock you, Renee, but, uh, it has been known to happen. Now the thing, the thing is, you know, so on our eighth issue. Uh, so we've been around, I don't know what else was around when we started. There are, uh, there are a few magazines out there now that although they're, they're not doing exactly what we're doing, but there are there are a lot of good uh uh neo crime magazines out there, you know, and and mm-hmm. uh a lot a lot of them aren't lasting, but hey, I have a market now without without publishing my own material. I don't have I yeah. don't have to put out my own magazine to get my short stories published. There there are places that'll do it. Um there are even some places as that'll publish my non crime fiction although I find it harder to get into those markets because apparently my style is just too dark for a lot of them and I can't figure out which one sometimes because I'll see them run a good story and say, Oh, they run good stories. I'll send them this And then it gets gets the generic rejection, not even the nice one. So you don't you know you don't know with some of the, you don't know with some of these pieces until you send them stuff. And it's like I, I keep a record of where my stuff has gone. It's like oh, they rejected four stories, and I still think three of those are pretty damn good, and they got published in magazines I respect, and I think I'm not sending that place anything else. You know, but live and and learn.
0: I I think, speaking of, you know, talking about how soul started and all that and talking about Uncle Dust. speaking of things that you start doing because it's necessary um, and then keep doing because it's a bad habit you can't break, what I mean was there was there a catalyst that came that made you say to yourself like yeah let's do a fucking magazine because today right now if you decided god doing like a paper magazine is a pain in my ass you could throw uh-huh. up a website in like ten minutes but you're uh-huh. still doing it so yeah. I mean yeah. obviously you like it or you're addicted to the rush
1: <laughs> right well you know you. When editing other people's stories is also a great way to learn about writing, because I'm not—I'm only editing the good stuff. I—I'll go over the other stuff and look through it, and I will learn from some of the things we reject. Is like that's—that's that's pretty good, but doesn't quite work. And why doesn't it quite work? And a lot of the time I'll see the flaw as, uh, as a as flaw of uh, that is. Often in my own writing, you know, and I was like, "Yeah, I shouldn't do that because I just disliked this story because they did that." Um, so, so there's that part of it, and then you do find new writers you hadn't heard of, and sometimes you get writers you have heard of, and you get to publish them. But um, there, there were a couple. There were a couple of direct catalysts for the first issue of Swill one, number one was the disappointment in an inability to get any of my own stuff published and the other was I was working in another magazine which I actually like um and but it was a a mixed group of uh it was a mixed batch more of a literary in quotes type zine with poetry and fiction mixed in
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and uh, a lot of a lot of fiction would not get in there strictly because, as you know, um, you have to have you have to uh, if you're taking up five pages, that's five whole poems and, and or one story. So you got to beat uh, you got to beat out five pieces to include one. But the one the one that pushed me over the edge was. We got we were getting we got some submissions from a woman named Delphine LeCompte. I don't know. Have you ever read her? I don't
0: Thieves think jargon. so. I'm making note.
1: No. The, the Thieves jargon website used to run her stuff all the time, and it was like a female Bukowski, but a lot more debauched. And Good. I just and <laughs> yeah and and I just loved her writing, and I finally got got the magazine I was with to say yes to one of her stories, but by the time we got the yes in, she'd already gotten it published somewhere else. But I was like, that was too much work. That that was the best submission we got. What the hell am I struggling for? I made sure I I got hold of her and uh, and, and got her in our first issue. And we've used some of her writing in one of our later issues as well. And it was just, yeah, it's just like, oh, my, what, what, what is it? She was like, yes sex with tools is probably not going to get into a lot of, of magazines, but it's going to make mine if it's well enough written, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it can be that sort of thing. It's, it's, there, there are things we put in the first issue because there was one story was just so disturbed me. It was so dark. Um, and it was really good. And, me and Sean were talking about it, and one of the considerations was this is never going to get published anywhere else. Just, yeah. Just because, just because the the material makes virtually anything else I've ever read sound lightweight. <laughs> so, well, and that's
0: so the we, thing is that there's got to be somebody out there that's willing to do, that's willing to put those stories out there. Cause, right. If it's well written and it gets a response, then it's doing its job, regardless of how fucking out there it is,
1: yeah, and I don't know if, I, if my context for i haven't read that story in years i don't know if my context for that would still be it's the darkest thing I've ever read <laughs> but, but yeah it was it was it was it was about a a support group for people with really horrible problems, you know, including child molestation and it was just. It was it was fucking evil was what it was. It was really painful to read. It was great.
0: See, and I'm sitting at my desk and I'm looking at, I have my, my shelf on my desk is like uh, everybody that I know is books. And then the ones that like really... I love them for one reason or another, and uh, one of them is Tampa by Alyssa Nutting, and it is the same thing. It's it's holding the first-person perspective of a woman who, like, preys on 14-year-old boys for sex, and it's Mm. so, so disturbing. But it's so well done that reading it from the first person just makes you, like, on a – the reader has to go, like, on a roller coaster of um, enjoying the story and even sort of rooting for the character and then being like, oh, God, does this make me a horrible person? Yeah. <laughs> you
1: know? I, I want to say that I in, I intentionally left out the name of the author of that particular really dark story because he didn't include it in his, his anthology of short stories as it came out. <laughs> and I think maybe he doesn't really want it associated with his with the bulk of his work. <laughs> but it's You're still there so in thrill issue number one.
0: We had somebody email Revolt Daily um and ask us to take his story down because he had written uh like a YA novel or something. Mm-hmm. And he just thought yeah. like it'd be really bad if somebody googled his name and ended up on the crazy ass story that we published. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we run excerpts of all the stories on Swill, and we've had two or three people ask us to take them down for various reasons. And you know, I'll go along with author requests. I, I'm 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 sorry that somebody has put winds up in a position where that needs to be done, but their lives are more important than my magazine. Not much, exactly. but uh, a wee bit. A little bit. So, yeah. Yeah. No. Well, I'm assuming that. I don't really know, uh, except for one of them who's a friend of mine and we had to take something down. Um, But uh, the others, their lives probably aren't as important as my magazine, but I gave them benefit (laughs) of the doubt.
0: Right, just in case it was.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I like, I didn't know how to respond to it, because obviously it was a good story uh, or wouldn't have been on the site. So it was kind of one of those things where I was like, okay, yeah, I mean, I'll do that for you. Um, And if you ever Mm -hmm. decide you want to write under a pen name, and there's right. more stuff. And if if not, hey, best of luck to you. I'm probably never gonna read your YA. So.
1: <laughs> well, you could write something. We could collaborate. Uh, it's Just something really nasty. I don't know. I, I I have a feeling no one would accept my YA novel.
0: Well, you know, okay. Uh, we had Chuck Wendig on the show, and we talked about he, his first YA novel that he did, um, hmm. and it was funny because there was this whole controversy because his teenage characters used curse words and fought and <laughs> talked about sex, because apparently teenagers <laughs> don't do those things.
2: Ah, well, of course um, they don't. I mean, come on.
0: <laughs> right. Um, and the best thing was people were really upset about the made-up curse words, the because it was like uh, science fiction. Uh, the mm-hmm. curse words that only existed in this world. And it's like, now, come on. You are not going to sit here and honestly pretend that you don't even say, like, golly. Because that's all that is, is, a, like, something you've made up to take the place of a curse mm-hmm. word. So if it's not really a curse word in English, but in this, like, place where the corn is sentient, maybe it's okay if they
1: <laughs> use those words. You know, um, you know, my my kids grew up in Oakland. And just walking yeah. down the sidewalk, they, they come into the house for reduced swearing, and and you've heard me talk it, <laughs> right, right. It's, but it's nothing compared to what the kids are saying on the sidewalk. Um. Yeah.
0: And it was well, you know, like it was. YA. There wasn't anything, like, horribly graphic. There weren't, like, uh, you know, erotic scenes in the novel or anything like that. But it's just funny the way people react, because I'm like, man, I remember what it was like to be a teenager. And here's the thing. Rob joked earlier about being straight-edge. I actually was straight-edge in high school. Um, Like, super strict about, like, drugs and alcohol and sex and all of that. And still, we talked about sex. We swore. Like, I feel like it would be very unnatural for teenagers pumped full of all the crazy hormones that come with being a teenager to be like, oh, sex? No, please don't talk about that in my presence. That's mm-hmm. that's a bridge too far. <laughs> anyway, that's...
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, he called us on Revolt Daily. definitely was not wor- a- yeah, even even if you're in some little suburban area where you're offset from and stuff going on on the street where you live, there's this there are these various forms of media apparently where all this stuff is readily available to people of all ages. We tease the hell out of
0: our.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, we teased the hell out of our out of our oldest son. And relatively recently for downloading porn, it's like, why the hell would you download it? You can watch it anytime you want. <laughs> Wasn't uh, it like number seven in the series? And you know, it was, it were the first six available without a download? I don't get it. And where are these? So films?
0: here's. This reminded me. Did you guys hear about? Um, So the UK has, like, super weird rules about porn. Did you hear about, uh, I guess it was last month, maybe the end of November, they came out with new rules for porn because they've awakened to the fact that teenagers probably look at porn on the Internet. And to protect the children, they had to make these new rules. And, like, they were really weird rules because they all seem to be like if a woman is in charge or having a good time, you must think of the children. <laughs> so, like, uh, face-sitting, and there was, like, protests in front of Parliament of, like, women sitting on men's faces in protest, was banned from pornography in the UK. So can't... you If you're in the UK and you Google whatever the UK big porn site is, like, you're not going to be able to see a woman sitting on a man's face. But you'll be able to see a man, like... Fucking a girl's face with his dick, because that's not anything you have to worry about kids seeing.
1: How did we get here? Did you hear about when when the when they had the Olympics in the UK and all the gay dating sites crashed from the overload where the Olympic athletes arrived?
0: <laughs> I did not hear about it. that's amazing. Oh
1: no, it, it was it was it was like within hours of of multiple flights landing at Heathrow, and as soon as these men and women got to the hotel rooms, boom! They were in training. That's awesome. I just thought
0: thought the porn thing was especially great because it led to a public face-sitting protest. That's just not something you hear every day.
2: Well, it's it's always fun when uh when when prudes try to push their moral values on people and then you know someone is willing to stoop to some level to say, you know what, I'm gonna make you uncomfortable now. And uh, uh
0: Yeah. But, I may go I mean, out there and closed. just
1: support sitter's rights at any time.
0: Face <laughs> sitters rights. I'm that's amazing and I feel like that's a cause we can all get behind or on top of.
1: Or below, yeah.
0: wherever you need to be to make it work for you that's Mm -hmm. where you can get on this topic on this issue Um, no we're actually we're out of time (laughs) and I'm not just saying that that's for real we're out of time
1: (laughs) Um, we'll be back for more updates
0: um, no so we have a couple of things that we need to cover uh, in, in the last couple minutes and one of those things is that our last show is coming up, which is super sad, but it's going to be an amazing show. Uh, Jessica's going to be back um, for that for that show. We're going to be interviewing Jeremy Robert Johnson, and we've we've set up a voicemail, a phone number you can call and leave us a voicemail. And so far, we have several. And at least two of them are from people who are not trying to sell us insurance. So if you (laughs) want to get in on that and you want your non-insurance salesman um, voicemail to get on the last episode and or we're going to spread them liberally about the site, um, if we have too much for the last episode, you dial the number 951-290-8002. You'll hear me yapping. You'll hear a beep. I mean, you can, like, say goodbye or tell us to fuck off or uh, share a favorite memory of the show or whatever as long as you don't spam us and as long as you don't say any, like, threaten us or, like, do something really despicable. Um, If you spam us or do something really despicable, then we're just going to publicly shame you. And anybody who's known me, for longer than, like, six months knows that I can I can be pretty mean. I can take a little bit of joy in it. Isn't that right, Rod Pierce?
1: <laughs> I don't know what you're referring to. I thought you were always just a sweet little demure thing. Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you're the first person in the history of Books and booths to call me a bitch on the air, but, of course, he thought know that I was just a sweet demure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I consider that a term of endearment. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I find it unfathomable that no one else has called you that on the air.
0: I'm just not on the air. What, are they shy? Yeah, well, you know, what are you going to do? People these days, they're all worried about um, political correctness and not calling uh, people a bitch when they're on the phone with them. The world today. never <laughs> be
1: one of my concerns, that political correctness thing. <laughs>
0: Um, anyway, our sponsor this week is Miss Massacre's Guide to Murder and Vengeance. It's uh, the pretty pink book full of ugly things, and it's great. Um, you click the banner, and it takes to Amazon, and you can buy it, and you can read it, and I suggest that you do, because it's an awesome book. Music this week is I Try by Tallahassee. Rob, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, thanks for letting us get a look at Uncle Dust. Um, super glad that we got to put you in before this was all
1: said and done. your sad demise, yes. Uh, it, yeah. was, it would have been very disappointing. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to have stayed sober throughout the show. And it's a bummer. It's a sad <laughs> <lot>. time. <laughs>
0: traveled so far but ended up all